This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. How's it going, guys? Welcome back to our 57th episode of Game On. I'm Hank and Dichter, and unfortunately, Johnny could not be with us again this week. But joining me for another episode is Paul Lombardi. Paul, how's it going? Going well, Hank. Uh, you know, been crazy, crazy weekends the sports world and stuff. But, uh, yeah, last week we had a great conversation. Looking forward to another good one right now. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, before we get right into the meat and potatoes of this, I want to give you guys a friendly neighborhood reminder. Please do not forget to follow us on our social medias. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at GameOnETB. And you can also find us at the Empty the Bench Podcast Network at ETB Network. And of course, please don't forget to hit that big red button down below. Give us a subscribe on our YouTube channel if you want to see more content like this. We've got a lot of good stuff coming for you. And, of course, yours truly is back at it again with another blog. And if you want to read said blog, please don't forget to look at our website at etbpodcast.com. And, yeah, I would say it's been an epic blog war with between uh, me and Jennifer. But in any event, Paul, let's get right into this. We've got some... Pretty shocking news to start off with in this episode. So the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and the Live Golf League are in a bitter, which have been in a bitter legal battle. All of a sudden, they came together, they walked up to each other, and they were like, hey, you know what? Let's just become besties. Why not? Yeah, right. Something about this seems... Very, very fishy to me because, Paul, you know that, like, my knowledge of golf is, like, minimal at best, no? Yeah, very true, very true. And, like, I wouldn't know, like, what a bogey is or the the tee is from, like, my ass to a hole in the ground, essentially. But yet, when I look at my phone... And I get all shocked about this. That tells you that this is, I don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating, but this is earth shattering news right here. It absolutely is. And it brings you back to a couple of other um, major mergers, such as the AFL and the NFL, and also um, the the ABA and the NBA back when uh, they all when both of those leagues merged. This is kind of they're kind of similar to that in a way because it, they're two f- powerhouse. They're three actually powerhouse uh, different leagues that it's that kind of rule the entire golf world. Um, and you know it's not like it's not like a side like one of these is like a side like a USFL or something like that. Like these are all three pretty dominant leagues and for them to decide to merge the way that they are is incredible because especially with the way that the PGA tour had talked and, you know, the commissioner and everybody, uh, how they would never want to do business with live. They basically 
banned every player who decided to go play for Live from doing anything PGA Tour related. Up until this year, they they started letting them play the Masters again. But for a couple of years, Dustin Johnson wasn't allowed to come back and play in any tournaments. Um, Phil Mickelson wasn't allowed to play. All the guys who went to go sign in with the Live Golf. But th- I mean, money talks. That's all I gotta say. They have it an insane amount of money, the Live Golf League. I mean, those contracts they were offering, they offered Tiger Woods like $800 million, and he ended up declining it because uh, because of his ties to the PGA Tour. Um, but the amount of money that they have is incredible. And realistically, when something like that happens, the PGA Tour is going to be a smart business. The businessmen in the PGA Tour are going to do smart business, and it's smart to merge. And that's exactly what they did. It's all about the money. Um, the no morals or anything going into this, but it just looks really bad since the PGA Tour had been ripping, had been ripping live all the time because it's Saudi Arabian based, and the amount of um, you know terrible things that go on like in in Saudi Arabia and you know with their people and so on. Rory McIlroy, another one too, who got a huge. Uh, offer from Live Golf declined it because of his morals. Wanted to stay with PGA Tour. It's it, it's going to be interesting. It's also going to be interesting to see now that all three leagues are merged. Uh, what the pay grade is going to be for the guys who were at Live Golf and for the guys who are at the PGA Tour. Are the PGA Tour guys going to get um, a big increase in salary since you got a lot of money coming over from Live? I I don't know, but man, this is something that like. You don't even have to be a diehard golf fan to truly um, be surprised and just kind of like shocked about how this happened, especially, you know, with with the tension that has been going with the with the three clubs. I mean, DP World Tour, not as much, but mainly PGA Tour and live over the past couple of years. Yeah, something like I said, something about this situation just smelled absolutely fishy to me and you know i can't believe you took the words right out of my mouth because you said it's all about the money i know a certain producer who's sitting backstage and watching the show that's probably uh laughing his you know what off right now at that segment but i do want to ask one question for (laughs) yeah there it is paul you probably know more about this than i do do you think Brooks Kopka winning the PGA championship had a bit of an effect on what went on in all of this? Cause hey, I know he's a live golfer too now. Yep. He's a live golfer. Yeah. He was one of the guys who, who, uh, you know, went over, got those, that huge contract definitely could have been. I mean, the, the fact that I think it was the entire fact that the PGA tour gave in and lets the live golfers play in the masters this year was was really interesting after like literally um casting them away as traders for over for the first couple of years that they were with live uh completely getting rid of everything that they were mentioned in all that kind of stuff and then the it's having seeing them play in the masters doesn't make makes this uh announcement a little less shocking because it, this had probably been in the works for a little while um, they're probably trying to ease their tensions a little bit. PJ was like, all right, so the live guys can come play in the masters, all that kind of stuff. Um, that he definitely could have had something to do with it. And you have a live guy who ended up winning the masters too, which is not definitely not what the PGA tour wanted to see. Who was the masters winner again? Remind me. It was Brooks Capcom. 
Right, 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 right. I thought he was the PGA. He was just the PGA Tour winner, but I he was the Masters guy. That's right. Sorry. Again, again, like I said, my shows you how much I watch uh, when it comes to uh, golf. But um, yeah, no, definitely. I think this is all mind-blowing. But yeah. is there any really other thing you want to bring up on uh, Live before we uh, get to the NBA? Um, Not really too much. Uh, I do have to correct myself, though. John Rahm won the Masters. Uh, Brooks Kepka won the Open, I believe. I always get the ma- I always get the major tournaments mixed up. Um, John Rahm ended up winning the Masters. I know that Kepka just won one of the major tournaments. I mean, ov- obviously, I'm not the big- biggest diehard uh, golf fan there is either. So, um, I definitely have to correct that. But the but regardless of the fact of the winners, um, Lib still allowed all of the. Uh, all of the uh, PJ Tour allowed all of the live guys to play in the Masters and kind of made it interesting. Yeah, Kepka won the 2023 PGA Championship. That was it. The PGA Championship was Kepka. Masters was Rom. I mean, the PGA Championship, the Open, the US Open, I always get all of them confused. Yeah, there's a lot of golf tournaments, so many golf tournaments. I can't even keep up if I tried. But in any event, Let's move on to the NBA, shall we? So we've started off with the first two games of the NBA Finals. Now, the first game of that series was an absolute boat racing. The, the, there was never a doubt that the Denver Nuggets were winning that game. And uh, I'll give you a little fun fact. Nikola Jokic became only the second player in NBA history to have a triple-double in his NBA Finals debut. Paul, do you know who the other one was? It was only the second you said? Yes. Um whew. was it magic? Nope. Kareem? It's not one that you'd think of right away. I'll give I'll tell you that. Oscar Robertson? That's a great guess because because uh, the big O I know pretty much averaged a lifetime triple double, but no. What what era was it? It was around our it was around when we started watching. So say the early two thousands. Early 2000s. Alan Iverson? Nope. Do you want me to tell you? Go right ahead. I already guessed four. Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. Okay, yeah. They were, they made it back-to-back years. Uh, the Nets in 01 and 02, I think it was, right? Um, no, 2003. 02-03. Yep. They made it back-to-back 01 years. was uh, the Sixers losing to the Lakers with AI. Yep. There you go. But, um, yeah, Jokic was absolutely dominant. And then he dropped, like, 40-something in game two. But if I'm being honest, that was the better game by far of this. You, me, and Nick were all doing a little live stream as we were watching the game. And this was a lot of fun to watch. And I also enjoyed getting to have some great discussions with you guys about our pyramids and whatnot. But, um Paul, let me start right off the bat, bat by asking you, what was your biggest takeaway from Game 2? Well, my biggest takeaway from Game 2 was um, the fact that my the resilience of Miami, to be completely honest. I mean, Denver kind of pulled away. You know, we were all watching it together. Denver was kind of pulling away for a period of time. Yogi wasn't even on the floor, and they were starting to pull away a little bit. But you saw the grittiness, and you saw the never-say-die attitude from the Heat. 
that has made them an eight seed that has made all them all the way to the NBA finals. Like this is what they've been doing all playoffs long. We saw this all playoffs, whether it was the Knicks or it doesn't matter who they were playing. Um, I mean, I mentioned the Knicks series because, you know, obviously with us being Knicks fans, um, they, that was, it was pretty apparent during that, but you know, and then they got big contributions from, from uh, their, Role players, which was a big thing. You know, Max Struess had a good game. Max Struess had a terrible game, game one. Uh, couldn't throw the ball in the ocean in game one. Now, and now he uh, now shot, I think, four for 10 from three, something like that, uh, which was good. Gabe Vincent hit some big shots. Kevin Love reinserted him into the starting five, and he had a pretty decent game. Didn't put up the most, the craziest stats, but had it had a pretty good impact. Jimmy Butler had a good game, too. You know, he was a little bit on and off on in game one. And that's what it was. I mean, when these two teams are playing at their best, they're very, very evenly matched, in my opinion. If they're both playing their best basketball, we didn't see the best basketball from the Heat in game one. Um, the Nuggets did not play a bad game either. They, I didn't think that they played a very bad game. They, they kind of blew it towards, towards the end. And the supporting cast, Michael Porter Jr. didn't have a good game. Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope, I thought I thought was pretty decent, but Aaron Gordon didn't really do much. But besides that, I mean, Jokic he had forty one points, eleven rebounds. Like you can't ask for anything more than that. Jamal Murray hit some big shots down the line uh, that like he's been doing. So I mean, the Nuggets absolutely destroyed them in Game One, and yeah, they were a little bit worse in Game Two. But the Heat, their their resiliency is is what's brought them this far, and could be what, what wins them the NBA Finals. I think if there's one thing that I really took away from these first two games and the way that the Miami Heat bounced back, unless Denver truly steps up their game, I honestly see no way that this series ends in less than six games, if I'm being completely honest with you. Because you know Miami is going to win at least one, possibly even two games once that series shifts to, I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's called Kasaya Center, but we I still think of it as American Airlines Arena, what, yeah. whatever you want, whatever their new corporate name for that arena is. Um, the the Heat definitely were resilient. I think you pretty much nailed down the head. And I also, to piggyback off of what you said, I think Jimmy Butler definitely got hot when it mattered most toward the end of game two because he had some big threes right there at the very end. And I'm actually going to agree to disagree with you, by the way, with regards to Denver uh, have not, not playing all that badly. I think what really came down to it at the end, the nuggets turned the ball over way too many times. And as a result, the heat made them pay. And if they turn the ball over, maybe even a fraction less than what they did, we're talking about a 2 nothing series lead, and we're talking about Miami being in a big hole where I probably would say that they'd win a game or two and like be a little scrappy on the Nuggets. But at the end of the day, I think the Nuggets really had a chance to put a stranglehold on them, but mm-hmm. they blew it. And I also want to talk about that that uh, lack of a timeout that, Mike, that uh, Michael Malone made at the very end of game two because in, in the words of uh, Jaguar Gator 9, when you uh, have that decision and it completely backfires about you, you can't be completely surprised when it backfires. 
talk about a dumb decision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the age old question for, for coaches. Like, do you call timeouts um, in that, in that situation or do you let the time play out? The only problem, the only problem that I agree with Malone with, with is that if they called the timeout and set up a play, uh, they could have easily fouled them before the shot went up whenever the inbound mm-hmm. came in and wouldn't they've even given them a chance to try to tie the game. So that's, that's, you know, something that every coach kind of has in the back of their head. Um, but the timeout is probably still the smartest move. And I, it was good defense by the Heat, too, because it, they, didn't, they didn't get a great look. Um, you know, they they were able to stop them down the stretch. And I do agree with you, too. I mean, I, I think the Nuggets um, should have won that game, obviously. Um, that was that was their game to lose, especially with the way that they started. And turnovers cost them a lot. Um, but, yeah, I think – I. I didn't think all in all, I thought they played solidly. You know, I didn't think they played a horrible game. Like my, like Miami played a horrible game in game one. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was, it was that bad, but you know, it, these are two, these are two tough teams, two very evenly matched teams. And it's not a surprise that's tied one-to-one. And just, just like I said before this series even started, I'm not surprised if it goes to a game seven. No, I would not be surprised either. And uh, before we uh, before we move on to another uh, little NBA segment, I do kind of want to rehash what was our fun discussion for top five players in this series. Because I'm sorry, we gotta like let's uh, revive this conversation. So you and I pretty much agree that one and two on that list is pretty much set in stone. It's really three yeah. from through five that we're going to have like a, a tough time because there's no question in my mind, Nicole Jokic is the best player. And I still think the nuggets are going to win this series. And a big reason why is because ultimately as scrappy as Miami is, I don't think their talent matches up quite much, quite to the Denver nuggets. If you know what I mean, yeah. but Nikola Jokic is the best player on either side of the court with that. Absolutely. Doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Jokic is one Jimmy Bullers too, but the question is the three, four, and five. That is that is the big question. Um, and for the most part, we had like we had similar opinions. Um, at the third, I had I had Jamal Murray at three. So did I. And then four, I think I had, I think I had Bam at four. And then, and then, did I have? Uh, you had Tyler Hero somewhere, if I remember. Tyler correctly. Hero at five. Yep, I had Tyler Hero at five. If we're counting Tyler Hero, if we're not counting Tyler Hero, if we're only counting the active players. Then mm-hmm. I think I think I put Michael Porter Jr. at at five. I I think I said Porter Jr. and then Bam, but. Yeah. Looking back and rethinking my list, I think I have to put Bam ahead of Michael Porter Porter Jr. And the reason being is I he's a suitable third option and I think he fits in, but if you made him like the number one guy on any of your teams, I'm sorry, but he just he's just too Russell Westbrook for my liking, if you know yeah. 
if you know what I'm getting at. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, Bam's defense is elite. I mean, he's an all-defensive player. Um, he's made a couple of all-star teams now. He, you know, he, I think he's, he's a tremendous player. So I think that – I think he's definitely got to be ahead of Michael Porter Jr. I mean, you can argue then the next tier would be like Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon. Um, you know, you can, can, you can debate between those guys and, uh, you know, if you want to throw Tyler Hero into it um, – you could also, uh, you could also Kyle Lowry, I guess, but you know, I, he's, I think he's further down now, towards the end of his career. Now, since last we left, we have also had a few NBA coaching hires. So I would say maybe now we could switch gears here. Actually, no, I'm sorry, I take that back. Let's. Uh, Talk about your expectations for the rest of the series going forward. Do you still – you said you had Denver in seven, correct? Denver in seven? I'm sticking with that right now. I think that the fir- those first two games made me even even more interested um, in the fact that it could go seven games. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense. I, I would not be surprised if it went the full seven, but – I'm just going to stick with my guns and say Nuggets and Six just because I don't know if I really want to change anything. But There you go. Yeah, it is what it is. We'll see what happens. And honestly, by the time we uh, get this episode out there to the public, we should be uh, tipping off. And um, who knows how well uh, that prediction will age. Exactly. But in any event, let's get into some more coaching hires, shall we? So if I'm not mistaken, I believe... Monty Williams was the one that was uh, hired first. That was the Detroit Pistons picking him up. And when I saw the figures of this contract, I was absolutely blown away. What was it? Six years, like six million. It's oh, six, even more than that. It was six years, I think 12 mil a year or so. Um, the specific number, um, I think was 72. I think it was six years for 72, um, either 72 or 78. So he's, he's, he's making either 12 or 13 a year, but huge biggest contract uh, in NBA history for a head coach, obviously. I mean, six years, 78 and a half million, 78 and a half. Yeah. So it's 13 a year, which is absolutely incredible for to think that a head coach is going to be getting paid that, but you know, they wanted to go all in. They got a good young team. They got some they got some talent with Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham and Isaiah Stewart and all the rest of the guys. They they have some good young players there. They're going they have the number five pick in this upcoming draft uh, in a couple of weeks too. So they're gonna be able to add another lottery talent. Uh so it, they're they're trying to build something and Monty Williams is a fantastic coach. I thought that it was very ill-minded that the uh the sons let him go unless unless there was something you know maybe a mutual parting of ways or something that like was behind the scenes that we don't know about but if if it was truly the son's decision i thought it wasn't that great of a decision i mean frank vogel's a decent hire though uh for to replace him but monty williams is a tremendous head coach and he from the second he took over the phoenix suns job back in 2019 he turned them into a complete laughing stock to uh, an absolute contender and then got them in the NBA finals a year later. Like it's, it's crazy how 
they had the young talent and they couldn't get over the hump. And by the time Monty Williams came, it just elevated everything in the right direction. And then they ended up adding Chris Paul and the, and they were just phenomenal. And, uh, and then they were able to obviously win the Western conference in 2021 and, but they lost the NBA finals, but that just goes to show the kind of coach Monty Williams is. And before that he was a coach for the Hornets for several seasons, did a decent job there. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a terrible coach um, in his first 10 years. So, so I think this is a great move by the Pistons, you know, money doesn't seem to matter for any NBA franchise. So, you know, it's, I think that if they think that he's really the guy to turn this franchise around, get them into some winning ways and build a good young core, maybe add some veterans to it, then I'm all for it. Yeah. So I, when I saw that, if you would like, let's put the money out of the equation for a minute. If you had told me that the Pistons were hiring Monty Williams, I would just say excellent choice because pretty much with everything you just said goes to show you he really was a good coach. And yeah, it is really important to remember that the Suns were essentially a laughing stock in the NBA right before he came over. I mean, the sad thing is, I think their play on the court wasn't even the biggest laughing stock. I think it was the previous owner, but I think ultimately the new ownership probably wanted to bring in their own guy, and ultimately that led to Monty Williams becoming a casualty. Not that Vogel's necessarily a horrible choice. I think Vogel no. Vogel's had a solid tenure. I mean, he was. I think he was the closest guy to actually taking down the big three then preventing them from getting to the NBA finals, like back when the heat had all their stars. No, no, no and, absolutely. And, the, and then he won a title with LeBron and he had to deal with all that drama in LA. So I don't, I don't think he's that bad of a coach, but yeah, I don't know. Getting rid of Monty seems pretty strange with regards to the Phoenix Suns, but getting back to the Detroit Pistons with the young core that they have, I think you definitely need somebody with a winning pedigree who can definitely change the culture culture because that's another team that for years had a laughing stock. And um, fun fact, I believe the De- the Detroit Pistons have the longest active playoff game losing streak in the NBA right now, believe it or not. They probably do. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they've been in constant rebuild over the past, past decade plus. Um, it's been It's been a difficult time for them. Every time they start to build a team that they think is somewhat competitive, they only make it so far and um, kind of crumble down. So th- I – I love this move. You know, I, I like to see – I'm a big fan of seeing the, uh, you know, teams who are deep in a rebuild bringing in, bringing in star coaches like that um, and seeing what they can do. Like, this is this is a project for Monty Williams. You know, this is not going to be an easy job. He's getting paid a lot of money, so I don't think he really cares. But it's, it's definitely not going to be an easy job. He's, they've got a few good young players, but they still got to develop them. They have to, you know – continue to draft well and also add some veteran pieces too. If they, if they want to compete, they're probably still a couple years away from competing. Um, he's going to have to like take his back seat to watch them compete, but to watch them, you know, kind of get everything together. But, you know, they also, they also took on two projects too, that could have a bunch of upside in James Wiseman and Marvin Bagley, the, the third, who were both top picks and Wiseman, 
was hurt and barely and barely ever played for the Warriors. Um, and then Bagley barely saw it. So he saw a lot of time for Sacramento, but just not was not the dominant player that they thought he was going to be right out of college. So those two guys are still young, early twenties, and at one point they were two of the best big men prospects in the entire nation. So they they ended up bringing those guys in, and you had that to Cade Cunningham and get him fully healthy for next year. Uh, and Jaden Ivey, I think that they have some pieces to work with, and I think that's kind of what Monty Williams sees in them. So it'll be interesting for sure. Now, I also do want to bring up the contract because we talked about like the prospects of him turning around the team. And I don't doubt that that's a possibility. I, I do think that's a great hire, but we, as we mentioned, it's a six year, 78 and a half million dollar contract. And the other thing we didn't bring up is that there also are incentives to, for that contract to reach eight years for a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I've never heard of a coach getting a contract like that. And yeah, although it's, although it's a great move, like I said, take, take the contract out of it. If we factor in the money and the numbers, that's where the risk comes in. Because if let's say, God forbid the Pistons continue their losing ways, then all of a sudden we could be talking about a lot of uh, what's that word again? Oh yeah, severance. No, it's true. I mean, you, we never see coaches coach con- coaches contracts approaching the nine figures mark that this one is is doing. So it makes it a hundred percent very interesting. Um, and it puts, if anything, it puts extra pressure on them. Puts extra pressure on Monty Williams. Puts extra pressure on the Pistons to start to get things right. You know, it's going to look like a horrible contract, especially if it's a few years into into the contract and they end up firing him or something and have to pay off the rest of the contract uh, by letting him go. So it's of course it's a big risk, but you know when you're when you're a team like the Pistons who have barely barely ever been barely been competitive over the past twenty years since they won the NBA Finals back in the early two thousands. That was kind of like their star moment, and ever since then they haven't done anything. When you're going on, to, when you're going on about 20 years of, you know, not really doing much, sometimes you take gambles like this and see and see if it plays out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think that I think Monty Williams could be a good fit. Yeah, definitely. Well, anyways, let's move on to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. So. It's not really a close series right now. The Golden Knights are leading the Florida Panthers two games to none. And I'm just going to say right now, I think the Panthers have looked absolutely rusty in these first few games. Now, granted, they also have gone a good amount of time without playing because remember, they did sweep the Carolina Hurricanes, albeit all four of those games were very close. But I think the magic in Florida is starting to run out. And Paul, I'm going to be blunt here. I don't really think Florida is going to be able to bounce back from this one because this Vegas, this Vegas team is a lot better and a lot more well coached than say uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Carolina Hurricanes or at, at the very least they're more healthy. They're healthier than the Carolina Hurricanes. I think Carolina probably could have taken them out any other time had they had a full squad, but. 
at the end of the day, give the Panthers credit where credit is due, but I think the Golden Knights are just simply too strong. I I completely agree with that. I think the I think it's almost pretty much the Golden Knights year for them to to finally take it. Um, the Panthers, you know, were a great story. They had a great season this year, um, and being able to make the run that they did, but being down two nothing, there, there's a very defl- there's a very deflating feeling that this series is over. And you know, obviously, it's never over. You guys, you guys see what what happens, but you know, after losing seven to mm-hmm. two yesterday, that's it's not great. It's not great by any means. Um, so i I think that I think Vegas, I do think Vegas is going to hold on to this, and um, hopefully, Florida kind makes it at least somewhat of a series, and you know, starts to come back a little bit. But it's, they did not look good last night. Uh, they got destroyed in about every facet of the game so it's it's it probably is the golden knights stanley cup to lose at this point yeah and there's really not there really isn't any particular player that's performance stands out that's how great the knights have been i think march so you could argue is a con Smythe winner i think you could also argue aiden hill who he came in in the middle of, I want to say it was the second round, and he's absolutely taken that goalie job and ran with it throughout the rest of the playoffs. He has been an absolute stonewall. And Jack, you haven't even, Jack Eichel hasn't even been their best player. That's how that's how damn loaded they are. Chan, Chandler Stevenson's another good one. I, even if Flor, I could maybe see Florida stealing a game at home, and fun fact, they've never won a Stanley Cup Finals game, so... That could this will automatically be their most successful season in franchise history. But despite the heroics of so many guys, such as playoff Bob and Matthew Kachuk, I think this is where the Cinderella runs clock strikes midnight. But yeah, okay. um, in any event, let's go on to uh, Major League Baseball, and you and I both have a lot to discuss with regards to our team. So why don't we start off with your uh, New York Metropolitan? So. It's been an up and down week for the Mets, to say the least. You know, they swept the Philadelphia Phillies, and then you go into the series against the Toronto Blue Jays. You have a lot of confidence going for them. Then all of a sudden, they get swept swept in that one. And Paul, I was um, at the first two games of that series. Uh, you and I actually met up during uh, the Friday night game. And look, I the big reason as to why they lost the series. The offense was, with the exception of those four solo home runs they hit on Sunday, non-existent. Absolutely. I mean, when it comes to um, the Philly series, they looked like the team that you were expecting them to be this season. Uh, they were firing on all cylinders. They looked great. Uh, their pitching was coming through. Their hitting was coming through. The Blue Jays series, bottom line is they couldn't hit with runners in scoring position. I mean, that's that's – uh, the biggest issue they were 0 for 11 i think on sunday with runners in scoring position game we went game that we were both at on friday they mm-hmm. the amount of infield pop-ups that that they were that they were hitting with guys on second and third one out it, it was terrible i mean chris bassett had them completely fooled the entire game um but this this is what the mets have been this season i mean this is the definition of the mets they are a they are a good team like just flat good. They're not bad and they're not great. They're just good. They're right, right smack down the middle. Um, 
and it's going to take some type of spark to get them to be to get closer to the to the grade level that they want to be at whether that's Verlander um Verlander looked great on Friday nights I mean he gave up the leadoff home run to George Springer but besides that didn't give up anything Scherzer's looked great the last, his last few starts um so we need those two to lock in and stay healthy that's that's a big thing Quintana coming back too soon is going to I think help out the rotation a lot having to rely on Tyler McGill and you know David Peterson and all those guys to get you some starts definitely hurts um and Kodai Senga too is 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 uh, in learning his way into the MLB, you know he's he's had some amazing starts. He's had a, a couple of starts where he's just hasn't really done much. But you know he's a typical rookie. You know he's trying to he's a typical older Japanese rookie that's you know trying to get the vibes of the of the MLB. Um, and then yeah, and then the offense too. I think the offense is built to. I, I don't think that they necessarily need to add a bat. You know a lot of some people are saying they need to add like an extra battle, that kind of stuff. I think their offense is good enough. I think the main thing is they need to add maybe another starter and some more arms in the bullpen too, because they've had a lot rely on Jeff Brigham, John Curtis, um, Jimmy Yacobonis, like all season long and Dominic Leone. And those are all journeymen guys that, you know, you don't, are, you aren't going to be able to fill out an entire season with. So yeah, the Edwin Diaz, uh, injury it played a huge factor i mean i don't know where we would be without david robertson dude's been amazing um we'd literally we'd probably be a good three games worse than we are right now if we didn't have david robertson um so i think that that's the key but there's definitely got to be a spark that's that's made um lindor has not been hitting uh pete alonzo went on that huge tear hitting a bunch of home runs but his average is down um Nimbo's had a great year. McNeil's had an okay year. You know, he's he's been up and down, somewhat cold. Uh, Brett Beatty, it's been a little bit cold. Um, you know, obviously, as as the rookies, you give them a little leeway as they're trying to learn their way back. But Francisco Alvarez went on that tear, and it's a little bit cold right now. Um, so they they really just need a spark, I think, and that that can come in a variety of ways. It can come by you know, their young guys stepping up, like, like had what had been happening the last few weeks, or it could come from a trade, you know, trading for a starter, um, going out there and being aggressive, possibly, uh, possibly getting Shane Bieber or something like that. I, it's going to take off. It's going to take a lot to get Shane Bieber, but it's, you know, doing something like that, I think is, is what's going to get them kickstarted. Um, they, they do not look like a, a division champion team. They, they look like a wild card team for sure. And I mean, that's my, that's my nice little rant, my nice take on the first 60 games of the season, but it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. And with the way the team is playing right now, they're not going to do much. They need, they need a little bit of a spark and, you know, then they need some of these guys to start hitting too. Yeah. I feel like the story for the Mets has been um, one step forward, two steps back. And that pretty much can happen when you're at 500 the first 60 games of the season. I mean, the silver lining is you can have a kind of iffy season and still make it to the playoffs as a wild card. And you have the big names in your rotation, such as a Justin Verlander or a Max Scherzer. But I said this in my Memorial Day checkpoint blog. 
I feel like everything needs to go right for the Mets if they are going to go anywhere at all this year, even if like it's like even if it's a cameo appearance in the wild card round, if you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah no, maybe things can change. I mean, like I said, that and crazy, crazier things have happened. I mean, we, we saw where the Phillies were at this point last season. They were well under 500. They fired Joe Girardi. What, what happened there? I don't think they're going to make the same turnaround this year. And they're only, what, five and a half games out of first place yeah. against Braves. So that's interesting. And they got a pretty big series coming up against the Atlanta Braves this week. But um, we'll see what happens there. And, um, you know, hopefully you can find a way to, you know, hold your own in that series against the Atlanta Braves. But definitely have their work cut out for them the rest of the way. And as far as their approach at that, like, it wasn't even just so much they're hitting with runners in scoring position that was that was nuts. Like I noticed, they kept swinging at the first pitch, and they just weren't being patient with a lot of pitchers. Has that been like common this year for the Mets? Absolutely. I think a lot of their hitting has been a little <laughs> bit undisciplined. Um, they had they had much better of an approach last season, uh, hitting wise, and they've been a little bit undisciplined chasing after bad pitches. You know, swinging on three and O's and grounding out all that kind of all that kind of stuff has been some stuff that that's cost them honestly, and it's it's like little things like that that you can fix. Um, that they can easily that they can definitely get turned around, but they got to they got to figure something out. Everybody's got to got to get on board. Um, you know, they they need more out of Lindor. They they need more out of. Um, they need more out of Marte. There's a lot of guys that they need more out of to to be that to be the wild card team that that they're going to try to be. It's going to be very difficult to win the division um, if they are red hot and they completely turn the season around. Then maybe you get some hope for that. But as it stands right now, it doesn't seem like that. But at least let's get a wild card. Yeah, that's. That, I think, pretty much sums up the Mets in a nutshell. Now, let's get to the Yankees, who took two out of three over the weekend from the L.A. Dodgers. Aaron Judge continued his torrid hitting. He's now only, I believe he is now two behind Alonzo in the home run race. However, we did receive a bit of a setback in that department in the sense that Aaron Judge, while making an insane catch against the Dodgers, crashed into the wall and he ended up hurting his toe. He didn't play in the win on Sunday when Anthony Volpe hit a two run home run and he's not in the lineup. He's not in the lineup as we're recording this episode. And who knows if he will be back by the time this episode gets released. But um, here's a question that might age as well as uh, sour milk. Uh, once uh, we get this out there, is it possible that Aaron judge is going to go to the IL? I mean, it's it definitely seems like it. It seems like that might be the case. I mean, I I heard the interview with Aaron Boone today. Um, they asked him if he's going to go to the IL, and, the, and he claims that they're not sure yet. They're giving it a couple of days um, to to see if it's actually going to be worth that. They know Nestor Cortez is going to be on the IL. That's 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 well, yeah, that that's a pretty big blow to a pitching rotation, by the way. I haven't even gotten yeah. that yet. Yes, but again, but you know. Like you say a lot, Hank, and I'm sure you'll you'll love to rant about it. Um, when they don't have judges in the lineup, it's not it's not a great team. 
It's not a great offensive team. And that's that's the dangerous part about him getting hurt. Yeah, you pretty much gave me a good segue into what this rant is going to be. And this is why I've had a hard time getting my hopes up. I mean, look, you know I always will um, have that hope in the back of my mind every time the Yankees have a chance that, you know, maybe this could be the year of 28, even though I don't think that's very likely considering the competition we have in the American League. But I'm going to get to that in a little bit. This team is essentially the same as they were last year. And you could probably argue that they're marginally better if only because of the production of certain guys like um, Oswaldo Cabrera and Anthony Volpe. And I know Volpe's had his ups and downs, but I mean, come on. The kid's 21 years old. Like, he was bound to get into a slump. That was inevitable. And for those who want him sent to the minors at this point, let me ask you the real question. What were you doing at age 21 that was so much better than Anthony Volpe? But back to the Yankees right now. I mean, I understand they tried to make things better, at least with their rotation. I mean, they did sign sign, uh, Carlos Rodon to that big contract, but unfortunately we just have not gotten to see him pitch yet this year. And leaves me concerned that maybe he could very well end up being Carl Pavano 2.0 minus the uh, track and trailer accident. But then you also have um, this continued approach in the lineup where it's the three true outcomes, you know, strikeout, walk, or home run, nothing in between. It's just so grating. And this is why I've been saying for the past, probably since 2019, that the Yankees are the definition of insanity. They do the same thing over and over again, and they expect different results. And if you look past Aaron Judge in this lineup, I'm sorry, but this is not a team that's as good as many people think they are. He is somebody that is absolutely carrying this lineup. And if they lose him... For a fraction of time, oh boy, I shudder to think about the run production that they are probably going to be getting within the next few weeks. I mean, don't get me wrong. Anthony Rizzo is all right. I mean, he's probably the only other guy that you can actually get a consistent 300 average from in this lineup. And he's the only other guy that you can probably count on to hit a clutch home run every now and uh, every now and then. But then you look at Giancarlo Stanton. Mr. Money for Nothing and your Chicks for Free, Mr. Glass Bones and Paper Skin and whatnot. And then you look at Josh Donaldson, who occasionally will look like Greg Nettles with the way he plays third base, but he's another guy who's like pretty much washed up at this point. I can't be... I have every right to be worried about the Yankees going forward. And I'm going to go beyond just like the current team too. look at the rest of your division. The Yankees, as we're, as I'm talking are only two games behind the, the Baltimore Orioles for second place in division. And the Orioles have a really good record. And I've said all year long, the Orioles were going to be a threat. That's looking right so far. There's no chance in hell they're catching the Tampa Bay race for first place. 
that's pretty much a given at this point. I think if the Yankees make the we better hope if the Yankees like even do go anywhere this year and if if um this injury isn't as serious that we face an AL a mid AL central team in the playoffs like usual cuz that's the only reason the Yankees even win a playoff series anyways. But yeah, no. It's just I don't know. I, I can't really get too hyped up even though I kind of just did, but the only reason I'm getting hyped up is cuz like I said it literally feels like I'm watching the, the same movie every single year, but just with a slightly different cast of characters every now and then. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And from the outside looking in as a Mets fan, uh, watch the Yankees, it's it's got to be frustrating because, you know, they got too many veterans who are well past their primes as well with Donaldson. And, I mean, Rizzo's had a decent season, so we can't even, like – group him into that, but yeah, the offensive production has just been tough without Judge. I mean, Judge carried the entire offense last season, and he's doing the, just about the same this year, so there's something got to change. Um, will it happen this season? It might be difficult to happen this season, but, you know, upcoming off seasons, and I mean, obviously, you have high hopes for Anthony Volpe. J- Jason Dominguez is supposed to come up eventually, so you're, you got high hopes for those guys. Um, and, you know, making some signs. But both the Mets and the Yankees, but the way that their teams are constructed right now, there's too many guys, there's too many teams in both the National League and the American League that are just a lot better, and it's it's plain and simple. Now, speaking of um, one of those really good teams, I was actually planning on having a discussion about them, and we will get to how good they are, but... This unfortunately, this team unfortunately has to be mentioned because one of their stars just landed on the IL and he got knocked out for the season. And Paul, I don't mean to sound like a dick for saying this because at the end of the day, I think you did, you probably dodged a bullet by not giving Jacob DeGrom the money that the Texas Rangers ended up giving. But that's a pretty big blue, big blow to lose a pitcher of the star caliber of Jacob deGrom for the season with the Tom, with Tommy John surgery, because look at all the money that they gave him. I mean, this is a team that pretty much was also trying to change their culture and all things considered, they pretty much have changed their culture, but if he's out for the season, I think their, their playoff hopes definitely take a hit a little bit because this is a guy who's been there, done that he's pitched in, some big games for the New York Mets and his experience, I think could have really helped them going forward. No, absolutely. Like way they've been on a tear without him. And if they were going to end up winning the AL West and you get him back later in the season, it would do an, it would do, it would help a ton. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the, the real reason why they've been dominant. So, so far as their hitting has been incredible. I mean, their, their entire lineup up and down is bang well over 300. They're just, they're just insane. Nathan Eovaldi's went is a Cy Young candidate out of, out of nowhere this year. Um, the, those are all the reasons why they've been as dominant as they are. But um, this the DeGrom injury is very sad and very unfortunate. Um, he, he had Tommy John surgery when the Mets first drafted him. Um, when he was a shortstop and they first converted him to a pitcher back in 2010, I think it was. 
He had Tommy mm-hmm. John surgery. So he, I remember when all those guys came up, when uh, when DeGrom, Wheeler, Mats, Harvey, and Syndergaard were all up, um, the only one who didn't have Tommy John surgery, because Harvey was going through Tommy John surgery at the time, the only one who had, didn't have Tommy John surgery was Syndergaard when, when they were in the minors. And Syndergaard ended up having Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago, and it basically ruined his career. Now he's got a 6 ERA with the Dodgers. Um, but Did you see his quote, by the way? That was pretty sad. It's it's really sad. I, I, I think it's terrible. Like, I, you know... I wish we could have kept those five together for a long time, but I do, I do quietly root for them um, to, to be good with their teams. And it's, it sucks that, you know, that this is happening to DeGrom. Um, Steven Matz has been terrible ever since, ever since he joined the Cardinals. Um, Syndergaard has been awful. Um, Zach Wheeler has been tremendous. So, you know, I'm happy for him. It stinks that he's on the Phillies, but, um, but he, he has been great, but going back to DeGrom though, it's really unfortunate. Um, he came up late. He, he came up when he was, you know, in his mid to late twenties. So he dominated for so, so many seasons that 2018, 2019 season, um, those two seasons were two of the best, seasons anybody has ever seen a player pitch um in the in the history of baseball i mean he was absolutely incredible and and it honestly just stinks and we started to see it coming a little bit when he got hurt and missed the missed the majority of the season a couple of years ago um and was up and down with injuries throughout last year as well you know started started the season on the il um, it didn't come back until, until a couple months in the year. You start the injury started to add up, and you knew that going into free agency. And you know the Rangers gave him a lot of money, and they took that risk. They you, they knew Jacob Degrom if he's he- if he's completely healthy is the best pitcher in the league. There's no doubt about that. But um, they the thing is if they have to keep him healthy, and they give him six years. He's pushing his mid thirties now, um, and he's going to miss all of the rest of this season and potentially all of next season. He may best case scenario probably returns like late summer next year. Uh, it, it usually it takes, sometimes it takes up to a year and a half for some of these guys to come back. And especially at his old age it might take even longer. So it's, it definitely sucks to see, you know, I would love to, even though I wanted him to stay a Met forever and be dom and be dominant with the Mets. Um, it just sucks to see that like a guy with his talent to, uh, start to go down like that and it starts to look like that this might be the common trend of the rest of his career even when he comes back from Tommy John yeah and if you you look at uh, the games that he's played in after that two-year unreal stretch of 18 and 19 I have I have his baseball reference page pulled up right in front of you like like has often been the case you look past that 2019 season, take 2020 with the grain of salt, because that wasn't really, that was a weird uh, shortened season. But from that year on, he made 15 starts in 2021, which was a damn shame because I remember that season like it was yesterday. He was absolutely dominating. And if I remember correctly, the Mets were actually in first place. But as soon as you heard that he was going to be out for that season, the Mets' chances for the playoffs essentially went down the drain, and I remember his ERA was 1.08. And then he go, then he started 11 games last year, 
and this year, just six. Yeah. No, definitely. I think that um, that that's been like the big trend throughout his entire his entire last couple of seasons. Um, like you were saying, uh, back in twenty twenty one too, when he got off to that ridiculously good start, um, and but he ended up getting hurt halfway through the season, didn't come back. You know, that's that's been like the common trend the last couple of years, and I think the Mets did see that too in a way, and um. You know, they offered him a pretty good contract, but the, I don't think anybody in baseball was willing to give him as much as the Rangers were going to decide to give him. Yeah, I would agree. But, and, and like I said, it's a real shame too, because in my honest opinion, the Texas Rangers are one of the best stories in baseball that really isn't talked about enough. I mean, let me give you a fun fact here about the Rangers. They are top five all ten at around 60 or all time at around 60 games played this early in the season for run differential as great as their pitching staff has been, even without DeGrom for the most part, we mentioned Nathan Yavaldi. John Gray has been a productive uh, number two guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Heaney has been another solid pickup. Remember when he stunk it up with the Yankees? Why couldn't we get that from him? Yeah. But then you have a lineup that consists of uh, Corey Seager, Marcus Semyon, who as of this recording has a 25-game hitting streak. Um, Adolis Garcia. And he's becoming a star. And then you also have uh, Jonah Heim in that lineup, to name a few. This is a team that's really putting a scare into the Houston Astros. Now, I honestly don't know if they'll have enough to overtake Houston for the division, but you got to be pretty pretty worried about them going forward. And if you look at the offensive categories, four of the five players in there are Texas Rangers. The only one that isn't a Texas Ranger is Aaron Judge. Yeah. No, it's definitely true. It's definitely true. And it'll be interesting to see if they keep it up um, and if they're able to dethrone the Astros. I think they will keep it up, and I think they'll be they'll be a playoff team this year. The question is, though, um, if the Astros are going to get hot, you can always assume that the Astros will get hot at one point. Um, and, you know, I also love their manager, Bruce Bochy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, to, you know, that's that's a part that's not talked about very much that I, is a reason why they turn it around so quickly, too. I mean, you bring in Bruce Bochy, and he, he's just a trendsetter. You know, he, it's like – it's like the impact Buckshaw Walter had on the Mets last season. Like the first year you bring him in, they automatically become a dynamic team. Um, it, it, same thing with Bruce, with the Bruce Bochy situation. I mean, he's a three-time World Series champion. He is a tremendous manager. And uh, obviously, you've got to be the front runner for manager of the year as of right now. Front runner? I think he is the manager of the year. Nobody thought the Rangers would be this good. It's true. Unless you want to throw uh, Brandon Hyde in there, though. Uh, I'm going to say maybe because I did see the Orioles turn around a little bit, but I think given his reputation, I think it's going to be Bruce Bochy. Probably. But that guy's going in the Hall of Fame when it's all said and done, and he is he is truly a forever giant. But before we end this show, there is one more basketball topic that we have to get to, and I'm kind of glad we saved this for last. So I'm hearing a little story that Kyrie Irving's trying to have LeBron uh, take his talents down to the Lone Star State. 
I- I'm sorry. What? Yeah, pretty wild. I mean, that that was a report that I did not expect to hear when I when I when I heard that yesterday. Um, talked about it on the three and D a little bit too. Um, so weird, just just strange. I mean, I I don't think that the this been the entire idea has been shot down that LeBron would is not interested in going to Dallas apparently, um, and Kyrie is very interested in going back to Dallas again. You can't believe a single rumor that has to do with Kyrie Irving. You can't believe anything. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. He'll tell you that he's going to sign a long-term deal with the Mavericks, and he'll go sign with the Pistons or something. It's this is this is what he does. It's what he does. So you cannot, you know, take it as gospel when when a report like this comes out. But I'm not surprised that that he reached out to LeBron to try to team up with him. I mean, there was the rumors that he wanted to go to the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers don't really have any room to acquire him. Um, they'd have to move around a lot of stuff in order to to be able to bring him in, or you have to take a huge pay cut in order to to go to the Lakers, which also doesn't seem likely. But, you know, it, it's interesting. He's, he's always got to have somebody. I mean, he had his best bud, KD, with him in Brooklyn, and – you know his crazy antics and stuff ended up costing the costing the Nets a chance of actually winning something with those two, um, and and they had to part their ways. So why why you know if you're also the Mavericks too, this is the first time in LeBron's entire career where his trade value isn't tremendous. He's due to get make fifty million this year. Um, he's getting older. He's injury prone now and you know a lot of teams aren't dying to have him on their team you know if the Mavericks it would be a very weird trio of Luka Kyrie and LeBron three guys who have to have their ball in the the ball in their hands to dominate the game there's not enough basketball to go around (laughs) for those three that's that's pretty much the bottom line um it's it is crazy situation. Never thought it would actually happen. The Dallas thing, but you know, it's it makes for at least an interesting uh, interesting topic for us to talk about. Yeah, no, for sure. I oh my gosh, I don't even. I'm just cringing at the thought of them playing on the same team under a certain Maverick billionaire see what I did there with my choice of words. Uh, Mark Cuban and I mean, he's fun to watch on the Shark Tank, but as like an owner, oh god. Wish that guy would just just keep his mouth shut, you know? Yeah. It's true. But, I mean, hey, you you tanked away a playoff spot when you probably could have made a run and now you may get rewarded by having LeBron James. Yeah, excuse me if I don't sound enthusiastic about that whole idea. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I don't I don't I don't think Dallas is very enthusiastic by that idea that much either. What is it, by the way, with all the mediocre teams in the city of Dallas getting all the attention, and yet the star teams like the Stars and the Rangers seem to fly under the radar? Yeah, it's true. But I know, I know that was a dig at the Cowboys. 
Oh yeah, you you I you know. between the you know me all too well. <laughs> yeah, that that was the point of that comment, but no, it's all good. Paul, you've known me pretty much longer than anybody at this network. You you knew that was going to come out of my mouth at some point, Absolutely. but in any event, that's pretty much all we have for this episode of Game On. I, I think I I think this was our uh, Johan Santana episode, or I'm sorry, I should really say uh, Chase Blackburn before he came back, number uh, 57. And um, if you want to give us a follow on all of our social medias, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ETB Podcast at the uh, ETB Podcast Network, and of course, please don't. Uh, you can follow us at Game On ETB for empty the bench and please don't forget to hit that big red button down below give us a like give us a comment let us know your thoughts we want to hear from you guys and of course if you want to check out other shows such as uh this man in the square right next to me you can find his uh episodes three and d coming on i believe it's uh at his his recent one just dropped at uh five o'clock right it did it did episode two dropped at five talked about all the Kyrie stuff bunch of nba finals stuff so um, if you guys are checking out this episode, definitely go check out it's, uh, the three and D episode too. Um, it was definitely a good one. We got more stuff coming up too throughout the weeks. And of course, also make sure you check out our website and, um, I'm sure there will probably be some more blogs, uh, coming on. You just never know with, uh, the certain, uh, brains of, uh, certain writers out there on this website. And, uh, I hear you might be uh, joining in the little blog party too. Is that correct, Paul? Oh yeah, we got a little something, something in the works for sure. But anyways, that'll wrap it up for episode of game of um, game on. And uh, Paul, great to talk to you as always. Always a pleasure, Hank. All right, and uh, hopefully we will be back with Johnny on our next episode. But until next time, I'm Hank Indicter, and we will see you guys later.